You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to NeuroFrontiers, produced in cooperation with the American Academy of Neurology. Your host is Dr. Anthony Alessi, Chief of Neurology at William W. Backus Hospital. Should special consideration be given to generic substitution of anti-epileptic drugs? And should anti-epileptic prescriptions change for pregnant women? Joining us to discuss both of these topics, epilepsy drug substitution and epilepsy drugs in pregnancy, is Dr. Jacqueline French. Dr. French is a professor of neurology in the Comprehensive Epilepsy Center at New York University. Dr. French, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you, and thank you for having me on the show today. Let's begin by discussing epilepsy drugs and substitution. Do you find that generic substitutions are more problematic in epilepsy than they are in other conditions? I believe that they are, and I think other people are finding the same thing for a number of reasons. People with epilepsy have a very narrow range, some of them, in which their serum concentrations can lie for them to have the optimal therapy in terms of both side effects and control of seizures. When the serum concentrations go either too high or too low, there can be substantial clinical consequences. And this may be more true for anti-epileptic drugs than it is for other drugs. And particularly, the concentrations have to stay within that narrow band throughout the day and throughout the night. So we do have a very small area to work within. And any perturbation of that, which may occur because someone is switched from a brand name to a generic name, could put the person out of equilibrium. What are the requirements that a manufacturer must follow when making a generic? So according to the FDA, they have to maintain the bioequivalence of their generic with the brand name drug within a certain confidence interval on either side. So they have to do a number of tests, and these tests are done in normal volunteers. So according to the FDA requirements, a drug must come with a 90% assurance between 80% and 125% of the branded drug. That means if you did a number of trials and you could create a confidence interval, the confidence interval should be between 80 and 125%, which is you know, relatively narrow, but maybe not narrow enough when you're talking about anti-epileptic drugs. Well, from a clinical standpoint, Dr. French, how do the generics differ from branded drugs? They can differ in a number of ways because, you know, the way that a pill is made, although, you know, there are some pretty standard manufacturing techniques from company to company, the way a pill is made, the excipients that are added into the pill, the way the pill is shaped, the way the pill looks, the way it's compressed are all proprietary from the company that initially manufactures the pill. And when a generic company goes to make the equivalent, they know what goes into the pill. They know, you know what excipients went in. They know the amount of the drug that went in. But they don't know exactly the step-by-step manufacturing process. They have to, in the end, create a pill that is very much substantially bioequivalent with the initial pill. But there are going to be some minor changes And that may include, for example, the rate at which the material is released from the pill and how fast you reach the highest serum concentration. And all of these things can have an impact on side effects and other effects of the pill. 
Well, Dr. French, as a prescribing physician, how do you counsel a patient in regard to taking a generic versus a branded drug? Well, it's very difficult because these decisions have enormous financial implications for the patient. So it may mean thousands of dollars per year or even tens of thousands of dollars per year if they elect to take the brand name instead of the generic. And they come to you wanting your opinion as to whether this is a financial sacrifice that they should make. And, you know, obviously in the case of some people, they would have to essentially give up many, many things in order to make this financial sacrifice. And since we don't really know the answer in any individual patient as to whether changing from brand to generic will make a difference for that person, we may say that the likelihood of it causing a problem for an individual patient may be within the range of 5 or 10%, and we can give them that number. Ultimately, they're going to have to make a decision. We can never say to them, it is absolutely safe or it is absolutely going to cause you a problem if you switch. And so ultimately, they have to decide how much of a risk they're willing to take versus the cost of playing it safe, essentially. Well, Dr. French, when you say give up many things, are one of those things they may have to give up is driving for a period of time when you switch them over? We do not require them to give up driving when they switch from brand to generic. But obviously, if they were one of the unlucky few who was going to have a breakthrough seizure because of a switch to a generic, then in fact, in some states, they may have to give up driving for a period of time. So it really depends on a state-by-state basis. But I would say that there would be few physicians who would absolutely mandate that a patient not drive just in case they have a problem with a generic. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to NeuroFrontiers on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and joining us to discuss epilepsy drug substitution and epilepsy drugs in pregnancy is Dr. Jacqueline French. She's professor of neurology in the Comprehensive Epilepsy Center at New York University. Well, now let's shift gears a little bit and go to epilepsy and pregnancy. What do we know about using anti-epileptic drugs in pregnancy? We know that for the vast number of women, again, taking anti-epileptic drugs during pregnancy is safe and should not cause them a problem. And that's the reassuring message that we give to most of our patients, that in 95% of women, they will have happy, healthy children and that taking their anti-epileptic medication should not be an overwhelming concern. However, there are certain drugs that are a concern to us. And as neurologists and physicians, we need to really understand what the data is in regards to these drugs. So what you're saying is some drugs are better than others in pregnancy. It does appear that way, and there's more and more data that is leading us to that conclusion. By the way, I should mention that even as we speak, there are three major endeavors in different parts of the world looking at the impact of anti-epileptic drugs on women during pregnancy. Of course, you can't randomize women to different drugs during their pregnancy. So all of these are registries or observational studies where women will sign up with the registry and the outcomes of their pregnancy will be compared to the outcome of pregnancies where a different drug was taken. And we are gathering more and more information over time from these registries that exist in North America 
in the United Kingdom and in Europe. Are these anti-epileptic drug registries all providing the same information? It would be very nice if they were, but unfortunately we're getting slightly different signals from different registries. And part of that is that the registries are not exactly the same. They have different criteria for women that they will include in the registry. They look at the outcomes in the babies at a different period of time. For example, one only looks at outcome at the time of birth. And of course, there are some fetal malformations such as heart defects that may not be apparent until the child becomes older. And there are other subtle differences that may account for the different findings in the different registries. But just to give you an example, and perhaps the one that we're scratching our heads about the most, lamotrigine is a drug that actually was considered to be very, very safe in pregnancy. And there are a number of registries that have accumulated quite a number of women who were receiving lamotrigine during their pregnancy and found no problem with lamotrigine whereas the North American Pregnancy Registry found a small but very clear signal of an increased risk of cleft lip and cleft palate during pregnancy when taking lamotrigine. The other registries have gone back and looked to see whether they can find that signal, and they really don't. So that's one example of where one registry is finding something different. Dr. French, does pregnancy itself in some way influence the effectiveness of all anti-epileptic drugs, meaning adjustment of dosage and things such as that? That's a very good question, and it's something that we are concerned about. So there's a couple of questions embedded in that question. One is, do women have more of a risk of a seizure recurrence overall during their pregnancy than when they're not pregnant? And there are some studies that have looked at that, and for the most part, Women, actually, if they're seizure-free before pregnancy, they remain seizure-free. They have a high likelihood of remaining seizure-free during their pregnancy. But there are some concerns about specific drugs, and particularly drugs where the metabolism of the drug is altered during pregnancy. And that does happen with all drugs to a small degree. So, for example, the older drugs such as carbamazepine and phenytoin, just because of increased body water, they'll probably have a 20% or a 30% increased requirement and serum concentrations may drop a little bit. But there are other drugs where the changes are much more marked. And again, I'm going to discuss lamotrigine as one drug that we've had an increasing number of investigations that have pointed to the fact that lamotrigine's metabolism changes markedly during pregnancy and there's a marked increase in metabolism of the drug. So serum concentrations can drop, and women can have seizures as a result of that. A woman who, for example, has a serum concentration of about 4.5 with a daily dose of 100 milligrams of lamotrigine prior to pregnancy, in order to maintain that serum concentration of 4.5, may end up requiring 600 milligrams at some point during her pregnancy. And even when you take multiple levels over the course of the pregnancy, you may find the level increasingly going down and the requirement for dose increasingly going up over the several months of the pregnancy. So you really have to keep after it in order to keep the woman safe from a seizure breakthrough. And people are finding that somewhat difficult to accomplish. When should a woman with epilepsy and or her physician start thinking about treatment during pregnancy? They should start discussing with their physician 
in regards to what medication they should be on and how it should be managed way before they become pregnant, when they're actually thinking about becoming pregnant. And as far as the physician is concerned, if a woman walks into the office of childbearing age, the concept of what medications are appropriate during pregnancy should be first and foremost in that physician's mind at any point that they're prescribing a drug and also reassessing drug therapy because the changes should be made as early as possible. And of course, there are a lot of unexpected pregnancies that may occur. And by the time a woman is pregnant, it really is too late to make changes. You know, there are a number of times when people come to me and say, now the woman is eight weeks pregnant and she's on a drug that's less desirable in regards to pregnancy. Should I change her now? But really, as far as organogenesis is concerned, the horse is out of the barn at that point, and it may be too late to prevent a fetal malformation. So it really behooves the physician to start thinking about appropriate drug therapy way before a pregnancy occurs. And what they should be thinking about if a woman is planning on pregnancy, even in the future, is that they should try and get the woman to an effective single drug, if possible, rather than treating with multiple drugs and avoid, you know, we're now getting more and more evidence to say that valproate should be avoided at all costs. Unless a woman of childbearing age only responds to valproate, valproate is really not a good drug to have a woman of childbearing age receiving because there is a risk of not only fetal malformation, but there is now data coming in to say that there's also a risk of decreased IQ and perhaps autism with treatment of valproate. And I should point out, even though I just said that organogenesis occurs in the first eight weeks, and certainly that is an important point in the pregnancy, as far as valproate specifically is concerned, development of the brain continues throughout a woman's pregnancy. And even in the last trimester, there may be impacts on fetal brain development that occur due to valproate. So that's the one example where even mid or late in the pregnancy, one might consider changing to a different drug. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Jacqueline French, professor of neurology at the Comprehensive Epilepsy Center at New York University. Dr. French, thank you for being our guest today on NeuroFrontiers. Thank you, and thank you for having me on the show today. You've been listening to NeuroFrontiers on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. NeuroFrontiers is produced in cooperation with the American Academy of Neurology. For more information about this or any other show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts. And thank you for listening.